Well, glad that you joined us today. And if you're joining us online, so glad that you're here with us. If we haven't been introduced, my name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors here at the church, and uh, this is a little bit different for me. I'm used to, to singing, uh, but I'm just so excited to be able to bring God's word to you today. You know, it was about a year and a half ago that Pastor Adrian uh, came to me, and he asked me to join him on a conference that he was going to in Knoxville, Tennessee. It was a word and spirit conference where just a gathering of pastors from around the country gathered to encourage one another, but the main goal of it was to grow deeper in God's word, but then also to grow deeper in prayer. And there was a session on one of the mornings where one of the pastors was leading through a time of prayer, and he was just asking questions to prompt some of our prayer time with God. And he asked a question that was really hard for me that morning. This was a question that he asked. He said, what is one lie that you're currently believing about God? What is one lie that you're currently believing about God? I didn't know the answer right away. See, I, I had to get up out of my seat. I'm uh, one that has to pace. I can't sit down and pray. I got to get up and pace. That's how I connect with God. So I got up and I walked around. And it took me a couple minutes. But it came to me. This was the lie. God, I, I don't believe that you're enough. God, I, I, I'm really struggling with that right now. Are you enough? So the, the session ended. I didn't really think much about it the rest of the day. You know, we had different sessions. I was trying to catch up on work, uh, being away from the office. But it was later that evening when we broke off into groups of six, and I was in a group of men that I had not met before, had hardly talked to them. And we spent some time to pray with one another, to pray encouragement over one another, and we just took turns praying for each other. And this is a moment that I won't forget for the rest of my life. See, as, as I, it was their turn to pray for me, and as I was sitting there, a man to my left, his name was Chris. And when he prayed for me, this is what he said. He said, Matt, I'm not sure if these words are for you or if they're for me. But he said, the lyrics to the song, more than enough, are coming to my mind right now. I'm sitting here, and their eyes are closed. My head just whips up because I'm like, what? I hadn't, okay, God, you're obviously trying to get my attention right now. So I dug in a little bit deeper to that question, to that lie that I've been believing. God, why am I feeling this way? Why am I feeling that you're not enough? What have I been pouring out my praise to? And then I'd realized that, God, I, I'm really struggling to believe that you're going to provide for my family right now. And God, as I have a parent who's going through a significant illness, and we don't know what lies ahead on the road, God, I'm having trouble believing that you're enough. God, the, the people pleaser in me that wants just people to think so well of me, and as I try to work, and when it doesn't really go well and people think less of me, God, I'm having trouble believing that you're enough. So we pour out our worship. I poured out my worship to something else other than God. What is worship? You know, we, we come in here, we kind of limit the definition. You know, we come in and we sing a few songs on a Sunday morning. Maybe during the week we listen to music during the radio, but that, we limit the definition of that. But if you think about just simply meaning what the word means, it means to ascribe worth. 
to ascribe worth to something. And you think about how God created us. You go back to the beginning, how he created Adam and Eve. He gave them the Garden of Eden to work creatively, to care for it. But in all of that, that they would pour out their praise to him because their relationship with him at that point was unbroken. But worship went wrong, right? right? They chose to do what was right in their own eyes. And they chose to disobey God. He told them not to eat from the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And they ate from it, and they sinned, and their relationship with God was broken. But worship continues. We're still continuing to ascribe worth to something or someone, whether it's God or something else. It makes me think of a a quote from a book that I read by Harold Best called Unceasing Worship. And he writes this, at this very moment, And for as long as the world endures, everybody inhabiting it is bowing down and serving something or someone, an artifact, a person, an institution, an idea, or God through Christ. So imagine it this way. We're pouring out worship to something, whether it's God or to something else. It's almost as if as I pour out my worship and I have a container in my hand and it has holes in the bottom and I keep on pouring and pouring and pouring, it's going to keep on emptying and it leaves me longing and it leaves me thirsty and it leaves me in a place of fear. God, are you more than enough? Today we're going to be look at a beautiful example of worship as we continue in our Gospel of John series. So we're going to go to John 12. And if you have your Bibles with you, with, with you I would encourage you to open those up. And if not, you'll see the words up on the screen. Let's go to John 12, beginning in verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, And she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone. Jesus replied, it was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Would you pray with me? So God, I'm, I'm so thankful for passages like these because it speaks to my soul. About God, what it means to worship you and this longing that we have. So God, would you help us today? Would you help our worship to find its rightful place as we look at this example? God, we trust that you'll work in our hearts. Praise in your name. Amen. All right, so this is where we're going today. This is the big idea. That worship moves us from fear to trust. That worship of God of Jesus moves us from fear to trust.
So to kind of understand what's going on at this dinner, I think it's helpful to look back at the previous week in John chapter 11. If, if you were here, you heard an amazing message from Pastor Jordan. But Jesus' friend Lazarus passed away while Jesus was away. And then Jesus enters into the story, and then he raises Lazarus from the dead. Like He, he raises Lazarus from the dead. And for, those, for some of those that were present, it caused them to believe in Jesus, but there were some that it caused them to reject him. So then they go to the Pharisees, to the Jewish leaders, and they tell them what happened. And the Jewish leaders are saying among themselves, we need to do something about this Jesus. If he keeps on going like this, the Romans are going to come and they're going to take our temple away. They're going to uproot everything that we've worked for in our religion. So they begin to make active plans to arrest and kill Jesus. It's dangerous following Jesus at this point. But tie that in with the disciples' expectations of who Jesus is. Yes, they know that he's the Messiah. They know that he's the son of God, but in their minds, they're still trying to figure out what that means. They think that he is going to be a political savior. He's going to be a political Messiah and that he's going to rise up an army and go fight the Romans and free Israel from Roman oppression. I think that would leave me in a place of fear. But here we have Mary's beautiful example of worship as she pours out the perfume upon Jesus's feet. Now, you might ask, who is Mary? You know, as we read that, that question may have come across your mind. Well, this is the third time that we've seen Mary in the Gospels. The first time we see her is in Luke 10, to where they have a dinner at their home a previous time, uh, where, where Jesus is with them, and Martha is serving in the kitchen. She's preparing. You might know this story. But Mary is just sitting at Jesus' feet. So Martha gets up, and she goes to Jesus, and she tells him, Tell my sister Mary to help me. Right? Mary is misunderstood in this moment. The next time that we see her is that even just in the previous chapter, her brother Lazarus had just died and she's mourning at home. But then she hears that Jesus is coming. So she gets up and she runs out of the house and she goes to Jesus. And the people that were there with her, they just assumed that she was going to the tomb to mourn Lazarus. But Mary is actually going to Jesus. And then here we are again, Mary at Jesus' feet, pouring out this perfume. I mean, what's the consistent thread here? The Mary, she's either going to Jesus or she's present with him. Right? I, I think about my past week, and even as I was uh, preparing for this sermon, I just felt this tension rising up within me, this fear rising up within me, still in that same place of fear. So I had to get up out of my seat. I went out these walls and I just paced around and walked in the parking lot. And I was asking God, why am I still feeling this fear? Why am I still feeling this way? God, why am I having trouble trusting in you? And after a couple of minutes, it flooded me. Because as I looked at my past week, I had looked at all the things that I've been running to. And it hadn't been Jesus. Right, you know, we, we, we finish that Netflix documentary, that Netflix show, and then we just move on to the next one because it provides a little bit of distraction for a moment, but it does nothing for my soul. It does nothing for my soul. 
might go to social media, the Facebook, to Twitter, just to see what's going on in people's lives. But we see what's going on in the world, and we all know it does nothing for our fear. It only increases it. It does nothing for our souls. And as I was thinking about how I had been trying to build myself up to make others think well of me, it keeps crumbling. It keeps on leaving me thirsty. It does nothing for my soul. And this is what we learned from Mary. That worship moves us from fear to trust when we go to Jesus over and over and over again. She went to him over and over again. So what is it for you? When the fears, anxieties, the trials of life come, what is it that you've been going to? We're going to continue on. Picking up in verse 3, this is what it says. The Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He didn't say this because he cared about the poor but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. What's Judas worshiping here? You know, as, as he raises this objection to Mary in his, in his harsh words, what he loved, loves really comes out. I mean, we see that he loves the praise of man, right? Because he didn't care about the poor. He just said what, uh, what, other, what he thought others wanted to hear. But what he really loves comes out of his heart. That's money. But he, he worships his own self-preservation. He worships his own comfort. This is what he goes to over and over again. And it's right after this dinner, actually, that Judas, when he realized that Jesus wasn't going to give him what he wanted, when he realized Jesus wasn't going to deliver what he desired, it's right after this dinner that he goes to the Pharisees and he tells them, what will you give me if I turn Jesus over to you? See, Judas was worshiping his own self-preservation and his own comfort. But what about Mary? Right, what about Mary? You know, this gift that she poured out to Jesus, it not only cost her economically, but it also cost her socially. You know, as Judas noted, he, uh, Mary poured out a year's worth of wages, worth of perfume, about around 300 denarii. Just, just imagine that, taking a year of your salary and just pouring it out at someone's feet. But not only that, it cost her socially. See, she not only poured the perfume, but she took her hair down and she wiped Jesus' feet with it. See, women never let their hair down in front of other men that weren't their husbands in this culture. It was considered the crown and glory and the honor of the woman. And to let it down was a shameful thing. See, friends, Mary leaves everything on the table here. She takes her own dignity, she takes her own honor, and she lays it down at Jesus' feet. But this is what she realized about him. She realized that, and it's almost as if she's saying, Jesus, I am safe in your presence. 
and I worship you. You see, worship moves us from fear to trust when we humbly proclaim Jesus' worth above everything else. This is what we learned from Mary, that worship moves us from fear to trust when we humbly proclaim Jesus' worth above everything else. If you were to take a snapshot of your life from this previous week, what would it reveal? Right? What would it show that you've gone to over and over again to calm the fears and the anxieties in your heart? Right? And what would it reveal that you've gone to to proclaim worth to? Because again, we're constantly worshiping. We're either worshiping God or we're worshiping something else. What would this snapshot reveal? You know, I told you about the snapshot from my, pre- from my previous week as I was in the parking lot just asking God this question. And one of the questions that I asked him was, God, as I pour myself out to you completely, even as I'm seeing in this passage, God, I- I'm asking this question, will it be worth it? God, God will it all be a waste? God, are you more than enough? Have you ever asked that question? We're going to jump to Mark 14. It's the same story as John 12. What I love about the Gospels is that with stories like this, it gives us another lens for what's going on here. And it gives us an even bigger picture of what Jesus is trying to teach us. So Mark 14, beginning in verse 4, you'll see this up on the screen. This is just after Mary poured uh, the perfume on Jesus' feet. It said, some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? Why this waste? And they rebuked her harshly. Uh, Unfortunately, that question resonates with me from the disciples. Will it be worth it? Is this going to be a waste? Jesus, are you enough? This is how Jesus responds. In verse 6, Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want. But you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told. Wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. I mean, don't don't you just love this about Jesus? How he defends her? He, He doesn't rebuke her like the other disciples. But instead, he teaches them. He takes this moment and he teaches them what a heart fully devoted to him, what a heart fully poured out in worship to him can do not just in yourself, but in the lives of people around you. See, when we, whatever we bring to Jesus, whatever we bring to God, when it's our whole selves, he never wastes it. It's never wasted. You know, I think about what's been even going on here the past couple of weeks this summer. You know, we had VBS a couple weeks ago, and over, over 300 kids that were registered. 
And then they, uh, we provided a meal for their families. So we had so many people going uh, throughout this building. And I was just so impressed by what I saw in the volunteers. You know, it's one thing to come and to serve and to just go through the motions. You know, this might be something good to do. Um, they need help. Uh, it's, I'm just going to check the box. But on the flip side of that, when you bring your whole self in worship to God, say, God, I'm going to proclaim your worth as I serve these kids, what does that do? You know, they are teaching them about Jesus, and they are teaching them about how he loves them, and how when we worship him, he changes us, and we can do great things in his name. And I saw that throughout the week, that as the volunteers, they poured their whole selves into these kids. And that's what has the impact. Or maybe even in the community. In the coming uh, months, in the fall, we're going to be joining with Kids Hope USA. And as we partner with Emerson Elementary, we had 38 people sign up to be mentors. 38 people. And they're going to meet one-on-one with these kids throughout the year and to pour in them. It's one thing to go and to just show up and to just go through the motions because it doesn't really do anything within the heart. But when these mentors go and they pour them whole, their whole selves in worship to God to serve these kids and to serve these families, it's going to change them and it's going to change the world around them. Or maybe it's even in the workplace. You know, before I started working here at the church, I worked a factory job that I did not like. It was boring. It was tedious. I felt like it was pointless and there was no worth. But then God pointed me to the people that were there and he pointed me to the work and with everything that we do again no matter what it is when we pour it out to God first he takes it and he uses it and it gave me an opportunity to connect with the people around me and it changed me and it was able to change maybe the lives of people around me whether it's home whether it's work whether it's in the community whether it's here whatever you do whatever you pour out to God he uses it and he doesn't waste it and we see a little bit of his glory And that's what we long for in the first place. God created us to worship. He created us to long for his glory. And when we pour out our whole selves, we begin to see a little bit more of it. Finally, worship moves us from fear to trust. What we learned from Mary, worship moves us from fear to trust. When we worship Jesus for who he is, not who we want him to be. When we worship Jesus for who he is, not who we want him to be. So leading up even to this moment, Jesus had told his disciples many times that he was going to die, that he was going to be delivered into the hands of the Pharisees, that he was going to die, but then on the third day, he was going to rise again. But the disciples didn't believe him. It even went to the point where Peter took him aside and said, Lord, not you, surely not you. And he rebuked Jesus. But what what is Mary doing here? What is Mary doing here? This is what Jesus said about what she did in Mark 14, 8. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. I think Mary took Jesus at his word for who he is. Humble king. She took him at his word for who he is. And it caused her to pour her praise out to him 
alone. We're going to go to verse 12 because we're going to see how this works out in the disciples' lives as we make our way toward the end. Verse 12. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. So what's going on here as the crowds are welcoming him in? You know, this might be a familiar scene to us because before Easter, you know, we celebrate Palm Sunday. And, uh, you know, we have kids that come up on the stage and they're waving palm branches. But what's going on here is that the crowds are shouting, Hosanna, which means save now. Again, they're, they're recognizing Jesus as Messiah. They're recognizing him as the son of God, but they're misplacing it because they're thinking that he's coming in and that he's riding in victorious, just like the disciples, and that he's going to free them from Roman oppression, that he's going to rise up an army, and he's going to free Israel from oppression. But Jesus' mission is so much bigger. Picking up in verse 14, it says, Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. As it is written, do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming. Seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. I'm glad I'm not the only one. <laughs> Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Right? They, they were longing for a victorious king. You know, when people of might would ride into Jerusalem, they would typically ride in on horses because it was a show of strength. And this is what they're shouting for. Save now. Would you free us from our current situation? But when you dig into verse 15 just a little bit more, and you'll see it up on the screen, it says, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. I mean, what's Jesus doing here? Yeah, sure, he could have rode in victorious, and he was victorious, but he rode in on a humble donkey. He rode in on a humble donkey. Because you see, Jesus' mission, his eyes were set to the cross. His eyes were set to the cross where he would humbly go and he would die for my sins. And he would die for your sins. And he would restore our relationship with God, our creator, so that in everything, no matter what fears we have, we know that our God is with us and our God is for us and we worship him. We bring it to him. See, when the disciples saw that Jesus was resurrected, when they saw him glorified, it clicked. That Jesus is not just another king. Jesus is the king of kings. And he is worthy of our worship. Jesus is not just another form of entertainment. He's not just another guy. Not just another religion. Jesus is king of kings. And he is worthy of our worship. See, I believe this to my core. That when we take Jesus at his word for who he is... Worship grows deeper. 
all the voices that come away about who Jesus is that aren't true. They only cause fear because they are lies. But when we take Jesus for his word of who he really is, from the word of God, worship grows deeper. I, I asked you this question near the beginning of the message. You know, if you took a snapshot of your life from this past week, about what it would reveal, about what you've been running to over and over again to calm your fears, about what you've been proclaiming worth to, what you've been worshiping. I'm going to ask that question again, but in just a little bit different way. If you took a snapshot of your week to come, what would it look like? If at the very forefront of your mind, you worship Jesus for who he is, the King of Kings, the one who holds us no matter what situation we face. And in this snapshot, what would it look like if instead to the other things that you run to, if you ran to Jesus first and over and over and over again, because I've run to Jesus first, I brought him my anxieties, but then I just go back to my regular rhythm. No, you go to him first, and then over and over and over again. And in this snapshot of your week to come, what, it will, what would it look like if you proclaimed his worth above everything else? If you proclaimed his worth above everything else? I think it would look like Mary. I think it would look like moving us from a place of fear of the situation to trust in my God. And as we do that, we settle in this place where we can answer, God, you are more than enough. Would you pray with me? So God, I, I'm so thankful um, for this time, for your word. And as we look at Mary's example, it teaches us what it means to lay our whole selves before you, of what it means to go to you over and over and over again. And Jesus, what it means to take you at your word. Because Jesus, you are a good savior. And you had your eyes on the cross to save us, to restore our relationship with God. Because there is a problem in our, in our hearts with worship when we pour it out to something else. But Jesus, you restored us to God by your blood at the cross. So God, I pray that even in this place, even as we praise you through singing and even as we go out, God, that we would worship you with our whole selves. God, we need your help in this. We trust you. We give you praise. Praise in your name. Amen.